Hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day to all of our dads that are here on this Lord's Day. And this is the day the Lord's made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. One of the things we're grateful for is for our dads. I'm going to ask the dads that are in the room, please stand. And uh, I, we want to acknowledge you today. Would you please do that, stand? Thank you for standing. I thank God for you. I thank God for your ministry in your own family and in your own home and uh, in helping to shepherd and care for your family. And thank you for, thank you for your, your wonderful uh, investment in the lives of your children and um, the impact that you are making. The Bible says, Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the gate. Indeed, we are blessed in the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bible today and find with me 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John 5. Uh, today, uh, we're going to begin with verse number 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse number 5. And so I encourage you to look with me in your copy of God's Word. Before we begin our sermon today, I want us to pause for a moment of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to do business in our hearts and lives. How many of y'all believe God's got a word for us today? Amen? Amen. And so we're going to pray that we might hear clearly God's word uh, uh, to our hearts today. Today there's a particular need in our church family, and I'm going to ask you to pray for. I'm going to ask you to pray for the Meiji family, Chuck and Cindy and their family. And uh, they had a tragic loss of a grandson this week, and, and uh, their world's been rocked, and these are faithful members and a part of our church family. We want to pause, and as we open and read God's Word in just a moment, we want to lift them before the Lord today. Will you join me in doing that? Let's pause and do that now. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Father, we ask that you minister to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, today I pray that you comfort us, correct us, challenge us, convict us, convince us. Father, do a work, renew us, revive us, and change us. Father, I pray that today that uh, we would listen closely to what you have to say to us. Lord, today one of our own church family is brokenhearted in grief and sorrow. And, and Father, I just uh, lift the Magis to you. You know them and you love them. And Father, we lift them to you now. Lord, this is your day. We've come to hear your voice. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In the fifth chapter, chapter 5, verse 5, who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, witnesses, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three are in agreement. And if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater. 
because it's God's testimony that he has given about his son. And the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And the one who has the Son has the life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 19, verse 15, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hmm. You know, you're not just supposed to believe just anybody who's selling you something. But things are confirmed by witnesses. Today we're going to look at some evidence for the claims of the gospel, evidence concerning the claims of Jesus Christ. Is the gospel that we teach and preach true? What is the case for Christ? Many of you have read some of the books by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist, an atheist. He grew up in Arlington Heights, Illinois, near Chicago. He went to school at the University of Missouri, got a degree in journalism with honors, went on from there to Yale University and got a degree in law. He worked for the Chicago Tribune as well as some other great papers. He wrote for uh, national news networks, and he was, uh, he was a strong atheist and argued against uh, God and argues against the existence of God and argued against Christianity in particular. His wife, Leslie, became a Christian. She was converted, soundly came to f- put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, infuriating Lee Strobel, and he began an investigation into the claims of Christianity and of Christ himself to disprove and prove to his wife that it was all bogus. So as he investigated those claims, he came to realize that the claims of the gospel and Christianity were reasonable. And not just reasonable, but they were compelling. And the truth of the gospel he came to personally believe. And he repented from his sin and disbelief. And Lee Strobel put his faith, saving faith, in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life and became an outstanding Christian apologist, writing, among many books, one called The Case for Christ. And with great analytical uh, insight and debate and reason, he argues for the divinity of Jesus Christ and the messiahship of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. 
his two children, and one of his sons is, is now a professor of theology at Talbot, Talbot uh, Seminary. And Strobel himself has been a pastor. He now teaches at Houston Baptist University and a teaching pastor in the Woodlands, Texas. God did a transformation in his life. In John's gospel, he gives us witnesses to who Jesus is. And it's not just one or two, but three. And he, and he, he talks about these witnesses. In verse number five, notice, first of all, I want us to look at these evidences and these witnesses. And the first one is the historical witness. In verse number five, notice he says, who is the one who conquers the world but the one that believes? Jesus is the Son of God. What an amazing statement. John says, the Son of God we have seen, and he has a human name, and his name, his human name, is Jesus. And this Jesus from Nazareth is the Son of God. What a crazy claim that is. You see, we've become dull to that because we're used to saying Jesus is the Son of God. But can you imagine in John's day to make a statement, Jesus is the Son of God. What if his name wasn't Jesus? We're used to Jesus. But what if he said, you know, Greg is the Son of God. Everybody would go, you got to be joking. He is not the Son of God. Why? Because that's a human person, a human, a real human being. But Jesus was a very popular name. It's like the word Joshua. Jesus. And this Jesus from Nazareth is the Son of God. Not only is he the Son of God, but notice in the next line, in verse number 6, he says, He is the one who came by water and blood. Who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Messiah. When John writes, Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus, Messiah, they both are pointing to the same thing, that he is the unique one and only person that lived on the globe of this earth. This, he put his feet in the dirt of this earth, and his name is Jesus, and he is the anointed one. He is the prophesied one. He is Messiah. He is the one we've all hoped for, and he is the Son of God. And he lived a life, a real, normal, human being life. His name is Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He was conceived when his mother lived in Nazareth. His family is from Nazareth in Galilee. His, his mother and, and earthly father was Joseph. He was, although born of the Holy Spirit, yet Joseph rears him as a father. He was a little baby that was born helpless and had to be cared for. He, what didn't, he didn't just pop out of the womb and all of a sudden start teaching the Beatitudes. He grew up. He lived a life. He was a baby. He had to be nursed. He had to be diapered. He had to be weaned. He had to be consoled. He had to, he had to be cared for and loved and taught to speak and to talk and to walk and to crawl and all of those things that you teach a baby. He was reared in Nazareth. He learned skills from his father, how to become a carpenter. He lived until he was 30 years old in a backwater town of Galilee called Nazareth. He lived with family, with brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and neighbors and other children. 
And he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and men. He, he was a real man with a real need to sleep, with a need to eat. He knew exhaustion. He knew what it was like to work all day and get blisters and calluses on your hands. He was a real man. He knew real grief and he felt the sorrow and the pangs of grief. He knew suffering and grief. He was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. He's not a mythological Jesus. He's not superhero Jesus. He's not a comic book Jesus. He's a real man that lived in this world, and his name was Jesus. He was flesh and bone and blood and bruises. This is Jesus. And at 30, he launched a ministry. And he came by water. It means he was born of a natural birth of a mother. He was normal. He lived a life, though, without sin. And the disciples were give a historical evidence to this historical Jesus who was a real man. And the disciples and his family would say, yes, we know him. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mother and father. We know that his dad was a carpenter. We know that he was from Nazareth. We ate with him. We talked with him. We walked with him. We laughed with him. We saw him. And he was real. He was a real man, but there was something different about that man. Peter said, oh, man, he could teach the Scripture. He was uh, some kind. I'll tell you what. He was some kind of man. Well, I've never seen anything like it. My mother-in-law was sick. and She was dying. She had a terrible fever. He came to our house, and he touched her and raised her up, and my mother-in-law sprang to life and started cooking us dinner. He said it was the best family meal we ever had together. And he said, I'll tell you another thing. We were, Andrew said, we were in Capernaum one day. He was teaching, and the whole city was coming to hear him, and he'd done these miracles. And all of a sudden, guys came carrying their friend on a stretcher, and he was paralyzed. And, and as they carried their friend, there was no room, and they climbed up the stairs along the side of the house and got up on the roof, and they tore a hole in the roof. Can you believe that? I mean, afterwards, we had to bring in disaster relief to fix the hole in the roof. And then they lowered him right down, and he saw their faith, and he, he healed him right there in that very room. This is no ordinary man. He's a, he was a man, real man. But he did things that no other man had ever done. There was this blind man. We were in Jerusalem, and he was at the pool of Siloam. And, and Jesus asked him if he wanted to get better, and he said he did. And Jesus put mud in his eyes, spit on the ground, made some spittle and mud and clay and put it on his eyes and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed, and he came back seen. And everybody in the whole town was upset by it. This is unbelievable. Who does that? One widow said, I'm telling you, I lost my son she lived in Nain, and she said, we were in a funeral procession on the way out to bury him, and he stopped the procession, and he touched my son, and my son came back to life. 
And there was a young man who says, yeah, I was dead in a doornail. And all of a sudden, I woke up. That's no ordinary man. And another man said, I'm telling you, I lived in Gadara. I was out in the middle of the tombs. I was running wild. I was possessed, incorrigible. My life was a mess. I was possessed with something. I, I was ripped and torn. I, I hurt people. I, I, I was just consumed with evil. And, and, and he met me. I never met anyone like him. His voice was one of authority. They called me Legion because there were so many demons. And he cast them out of me. And a bunch of pigs, they went into the pigs and they drowned in the sea. And I was set free. This man Jesus is different than any other man. And we heard him teach. And when he taught, he taught like nobody ever taught before. He expounded the law and we understood it in ways we had never understood it before. He confounded the hypocrites. He confounded and judged the Pharisees. He, we heard his claims. We saw his humility. We saw his faith in God. We saw him walk on the water. Ah, we were out in the middle of the boat, the storm, whipping the waves every which way, and we we're out there in the middle of the night. We were scared to death. He was on shore praying, but all of a sudden we saw him walking on the whitecaps across the sea. Huh, we thought it was a ghost, but it was Jesus. And he got in the boat, and peace came. Who in the world can speak to the wind of the waves? And they listened to his voice. And he was a man! But he did things we've never seen. We saw him weep, broken, broken over Jerusalem, Broken over the lostness. Broken of when he saw people hurting and going the wrong way and making wrong decisions. And he had compassion for them. And he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And he loved them. Well, dude, I'm telling you, I saw something I can't believe he did. There were 5,000 men and women and children. And they were following. We were out in the middle of nowhere in the country. And it was, everybody was starving. They were so hungry. And he said, what do you got to feed them? They said, we don't have anything. We've got a few fish and some loaves. The, some boys lunch. That's all we could find in the whole place. He said, have them sit down. And he broke the bread. And he fed the multitude with a few loaves and fish. <laughs> and you know what? We couldn't believe it happened. And we were kind of doubtful. But when the day was done, we were all carrying a big bushel basket of food left over. He was a man, just like us. But the God-man, the Son of God, we saw him and we knew he was no ordinary man. One day he was so brokenhearted his good friend Lazarus died and he saw the weeping of Mary and Martha. And they said, show me where he's laying. And they showed him the place 
We couldn't believe what he said because this body had been dead for over three days. And he said, remove the stone. And we said, it's going to stink. It's hot. They rolled back the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And that old boy stood up. And he came to life. And he stumbled out wearing dead man's clothes. And he said, turn him loose. And Lazarus said, what happened? His life was changed. In John's Gospel, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And what we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus, Messiah. Wow. He has eternal life. Not only was a real historical man, he came by the blood, not only by the water, but also by the blood. He, he died. And this is the testimony of all of these apostles and disciples and followers and family members. He died, and we saw him die. He died on a cross. He was crucified at the hands of the Romans. He was mocked by the Jews. He was beaten by the Romans. He was scorned and rejected by us all. He was, yet he kept loving us. From the cross, he was loving us. He was trusting the Father. He was praying for us, and he was even there teaching us. He was died a real death. We saw him expire. We saw his limp body. We, we put his cold, limp body in the, dirt, in the ground, in a tomb. But my friends, he rose again. And we saw him. We ate with him. We touched him. Thomas said, yeah, I touched him too. And he's a real man. And he lived a real life. And he died a real death. And he's alive today. It's a historical witness. There was a real man named Jesus. And this real man was unlike any other men. John said in chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
the historical witnesses to the historical life of Jesus give this testimony. We saw him, we knew him, he was real, he is alive, he has ascended to the Father, and he's coming again. And the apostles give witness, John gives witness, James gives witness, Peter gives witness, Andrew gives witness, Philip gives witness, Simon gives witness, Levi gives witness, Bartimaeus gives witness, the Roman centurion gives a witness, Joseph of Arimathea give a witness, Nicodemus gives a witness, Mary gives a witness, Mary from Magdala gives a witness, Cleopas gives a witness. Martha gives a witness. Mary gives a witness. Lazarus gives a witness. The Roman soldier gives a witness at the foot of the cross. This was the Son of God. Secondly, there's a divine witness. It is not only a historical witness, but a divine witness. In chapter 5, verse number 7, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three are in agreement, and we accept human testimony, but God's testimony, this is a divine witness, God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that he has given about his son. I call to the witness stand God the Father. That's what John's saying. And this is what God the Father says. He's my son. These three testify by me, the spirit, the water, and the blood. God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that is given about his son. First of all, the spirit gives testimony to Jesus Christ and who he was. When the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the father, John 15, 26. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about whom? About me. The Holy Spirit gives testimony to who Jesus is. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he's a spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit giving testimony, not only that, but also the water itself. What does he mean? I believe here when he uses the word water, he means the baptism of Jesus. You remember this Jesus comes to John the Baptist. We read the text this morning. Jesus comes to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John was a relative of his, and John said, I didn't even know him when I saw him, but the Lord had told me, the one you see, this, he says, when I saw him, I knew and I said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said, I've come to be baptized, present himself to be baptized. He said, I'm not worthy to, under, under, to unlatch the thong of your sandal. He says, you come to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. You are much greater. You're holy. You're, you're different than me. Jesus said, no, for thus it will fulfill all righteousness for both of us. 
And then John permitted him, and he went down into the water and was baptized by John and came up out of the water. And when he did, John said, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And there was a voice out of heaven, and I heard it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He said, we saw the Spirit descend like a dove and light upon him. And I heard God's voice. And so did others. They were all around the Jordan. And God said, this is my boy, and I'm proud of him. Woo! Well, that'll get your attention, won't it? The Spirit descends upon him. And a voice speaks out of heaven. Wow. John said, this is... God had told me, he said, I didn't know him, but God said to me, the one whom I send to you, he says, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, listen to what he will do. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see, the one being baptized is the unique Son of God. And as he's baptized in water, his ministry now will be to pour out the Holy Spirit of God on others. Woo! That's Jesus. And I have seen and testify, this is the Son of God. By John's own testimony, he was baptized and launches his ministry. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit and he has authority to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes his disciples and in their core, Peter, James, and John. They go up to the mountain to pray. And there on that mountain, Christ is transfigured. It means his, the shape of his very body changes. The, he becomes translucent, glowing. And, and the, they, it's a glorious look, and there in the presence of Jesus were two other witnesses, and one was Moses, representing the law of God, and the other, the other is Elijah, representing the prophets of God. And we saw the law and the prophets giving testimony to who Jesus is, and Peter said, I didn't know what to say, so I just... I didn't know what to say, so I just said, man, it's good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, he said. And all of a sudden, the law and the prophets were gone, and there was only Jesus left, and there was a voice out of heaven, just like at the baptism. This is my son. You listen to him. Above the law, above the prophets, is Jesus. The very voice of God. Wow. In John's Gospel, chapter number 5, in verse number 34, John's Gospel, chapter number 5, in verse number 34, should you believe the testimony? In verse number 32, it says, there's another who testifies about me. I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. What is the test? Who's testifying? Verse 20, 34. I don't receive human testimony, 
But I say these things that you may be saved. Verse 36, I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works that I'm doing testify about me that the Father hath sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. And you've not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. Notice, he says, the Father gives testimony about me. It's a divine testimony. This is his Son. The very works that Jesus do give testimony that Jesus, a real man, was the Son of God. Wow. But there's also the testimony of the blood. There's not only the testimony of the Spirit, but the testimony of the blood. The cross of Christ testifies to who Jesus is because Jesus Christ committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. There was nothing wrong that he ever did, but he died a death for us. And so the perfect one dies for imperfect ones. The, un, the just one dies for unjust ones. The righteous one dies for unrighteous ones. And the singular man, the God-man, Jesus, died and bore in his body all of our sins so that we might be made right. No other death was like his death because no other man lived a perfect life and no other man perfectly laid down his life for other men's sins. He's different than any other man. Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me because he is the Son of God. He died for your sins. He loved us completely. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. On the cross, he died a bloody death, and it was for us. But he rose again victoriously. In the book of Acts, chapter number 2, Acts chapter number 2, In verse number 22, in the early preaching of the church, as Peter, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is preaching, he says on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.22, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a real man, was a man attested to you by God with miracles wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. And though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you, Jews, Israelites, used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Verse 32 and God has raised this Jesus, whom we are all witnesses. Amen. Verse 33, 
Therefore, since he's been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you see and hear. For it's not David who ascended into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God hath made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. Woo! He was a man, but no ordinary man. He was and is Lord and Messiah. How do I know? Because God raised him from the dead. Hmm. That's a pretty good testimony. It's like God said to all the world, this is my son. The name of Jesus is unlike any other name. You see, Jesus humbled himself, became like a servant, became obedient to death, even death, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But now God hath highly exalted him, given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus is Messiah. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is my Savior. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the divine witness. Thirdly, there's the experiential witness. Look with me back to our text again in chapter 5. It's not only true, not only is there the witness of a historical life, the witness of a divine witness of the Father, but there is also the experience of salvation in us. Verse number 10 says, The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony, where? Within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. You've, you've told God you're a liar. I don't believe your witness about him. Because he's not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us what? Eternal what? Can you all read that? God has given us what? Eternal life. And this life is found where? In his son. Look at the next verse. The one, say it with me out loud. The one who has the son has the the one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I'm telling you, he's given us life. Whenever you turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin and throw yourselves in, on Christ, call on his name, he gives you eternal life. He has caused you to be born again. He, the thief comes to steal and kill 
and destroy, but I've come so you have life, life abundant. This witness is inside of ourselves. Jesus in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you know it today? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you can't earn or work your way to heaven, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, gift, free gift from God. Not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus came so you can have eternal life. For God so let me know it. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. The life is in Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. And will not come under judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Life. The Son lives in you. This is the greatest news in all the world. John's Gospel, chapter number 6. John's Gospel, chapter number 6. Verse number 40. Listen to what Jesus said. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who believes in... Who, everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus alone gives eternal life. Verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven that anyone may eat it and not die. I'm the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, eternal life. The bread I give him for the, uh, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, I truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in yourselves. The one that eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Jesus said, when you believe me, trust me, put your faith in me, eat me, take me into your life. And trust in my atoning work. Life comes inside. Whew. Death is gone and life has come. Woo! That's what it means to be a Christian. The life of Jesus is now working in you. You don't believe that? You're not saved by believing facts. You're not saved by keeping the law. You are not saved by going to church. 
You're not saved by being baptized. You're not saved by doing all your good deeds. You're saved by Jesus alone. And he gives eternal life. And you'll never perish. Have you? Have you trusted in him? Have you yielded to him? Have you accepted him? Are you following him? In him is life. Now listen to me. He who has the Son has life. But he who has not the Son has not the life. You can go to church every Sunday and not have the life. You can be a member of this church and 15 other churches and not have life. You can read your Bible and not have life. You can be wet in the baptistry and not have life. Because life is found in the Son, in Jesus only. But if you've trusted in Jesus, His life is in you. And you know it. And you sense it. And He talks to you. And he walks with you, and he corrects you, and he convicts you, and he comforts you, and he shepherds you, and he helps you, because he's in you and with you. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Isn't that the most amazing thing? In the book of Romans... In chapter number 8, Paul describes it this way. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Amen. Verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal life's bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Verse 14. For those, all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Wow. Amen. Christ is in you, talking to you, comforting you, leading you, teaching you, correcting you, developing you, strengthening you, helping you. Do you know him? How do you know? Today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your heart. Open your life. Put your faith in him, and he will save you. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts, our lives this morning. May we today hear these witnesses, the witness of a historical life, the witness of a divine witness from the Father, and the witness of the Spirit in our salvation. O oh, Father, today, change us. Give us strength. Give us hope. And help us to live life in the Son. It's in Jesus' name. Some takeaways for today I have at the end of this message. Number one, God gives us eternal life. Number two, this life is found in Jesus. Nowhere else. Number three, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. You didn't earn it. Number four, it's a present possession. It's in you now. And number five, this life is transformative. It changes you. Amen.